Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Inyash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Second half of Chapter 29, Egocentric Bias. It was a couple of hours later, and she was in the Hufflepuff study hall with Hannah, Susan, Leanne, and Megan. Professor Flitwick, surprisingly diffident for a teacher, had asked if she might possibly maybe help those four with their charms homework for a while, even though they weren't Ravenclaws, and Hermione had felt so proud she'd almost burst. Hermione took a piece of parchment, spilled a little bit of ink on it, tore it into four pieces, crumpled them, and tossed the pieces on the table. She could have gotten it just from crumpling it, but doing all that made it more like garbage, and that helped when someone was first practicing the disposal charm. Hermione sharpened her ears and eyes and said, Okay, try it. Everto. 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 Hermione didn't think she'd quite cut all the problems. Can you all try it again? An hour later, Hermione had concluded that, one, Leanne and Megan were sort of sloppy, but if you asked them to keep practicing something, they would. Two, Hannah and Susan were focused and driven to the point where you had to keep telling them to slow down and relax and think about things instead of trying so hard. It was odd to think that these two would soon be hers. And three, she liked helping Hufflepuffs. The whole study hall had a very cheerful atmosphere. When she left for dinner, she found the boy who lived reading a book while he waited to escort her. It made her feel flattered and also a little worried because Harry didn't seem to really talk to anyone besides her. Did you know there's a girl in Hufflepuff who's a metamorph magus? Said Hermione as they headed toward the Great Hall. She makes her hair really red, like a stop sign red, not Weasley red. And when she spilled hot tea on herself, she turned into a black-haired boy until she got it under control again. Really? Cool, said Harry, sounding a bit distracted. Um, Hermione... Just to check, you know tomorrow is the last day to sign up for Professor Quirrell's armies, right? Yes, the armies of the evil Professor Quirrell. Her voice was a little angry, though Harry didn't know why, of course. Hermione, Harry said, his voice exasperated. He's not evil. He's a little bit dark and a whole lot Slytherin. It's not the same as being evil. Harry Potter had too many words for things. That was his problem. He would have been better off if he'd just divided the universe into good and bad. Professor Quirrell called me up in front of the whole class and told me to shoot someone. He was right, Harry said, his voice sober. I'm sorry, Hermione, but he was. You should have shot me. I wouldn't have minded. You can't learn battle magic if you can't practice against real opponents using real spells. And now you're doing okay in sparring, aren't you? Hermione was only twelve, and so she knew. But she couldn't put it into words. She couldn't find the thing to say that would convince Harry. Professor Quirrell had taken a young girl and called that girl up in front of everyone and ordered her to open fire without provocation on a classmate. It didn't matter if Professor Quirrell was right about her needing to learn it. Professor McGonagall wouldn't ever have done that. Professor Flitwick wouldn't ever have done that. Maybe not even Professor Snape would have done that. Professor Quirrell was evil but she couldn't find the words, and she knew that Harry would never believe her. Hermione, I've talked to the older students, Harry said. Professor Quirrell could be the only competent defense professor we'll get in all seven years at Hogwarts. Anything else we can learn later. If we want to study defense, we have to do it this year. The students who sign up for the extracurricular stuff are going to be learning huge amounts, way beyond what the ministry thinks first years are supposed to study. 
Did you know we're going to be learning the Patronus charm? In January? The Patronus charm? Hermione said, her voice going up in surprise. Her book said that was one of the brightest magics known, a weapon against the darkest creatures, cast with pure positive emotions. It wasn't something she'd expect the evil Professor Quirrell to teach, or arrange to be taught, since Hermione couldn't imagine that he could do the spell himself. Yes! Students usually don't learn the Patronus charm until their fifth years or even later. But Professor Quirrell says the ministry schedules were made up by talking flubberworms, and the ability to cast the Patronus charm depends on emotions more than magical strength. Professor Quirrell says that he thinks most students do way less than they can, and this year he's going to prove it. There was the usual tone of odd worship that Harry's voice had when he talked about Professor Quirrell, and Hermione gritted her teeth and kept walking. I already signed up, actually. I did it this morning, for everything, just like you said. In for a penny, in for a pound was the usual expression. Besides, she didn't want to lose, and if she wanted to win, she had to learn. So you will be in the armies, then? Harry's voice was suddenly enthusiastic. That's awesome, Hermione! I've already gotten my list of soldiers, but I'm sure Professor Quirrell will let me add one more, or trade. I'm not joining your army. Hermione's voice was sharp. She knew it was a reasonable assumption, but it still annoyed her. Harry blinked. Not Draco Malfoy's, surely. So you want to be in the Third Army? Even though we don't know who the General is yet? Harry sounded surprised and a little wounded, and she couldn't blame him. Though of course she did blame him, since in fact it was all his fault. But why not mine? Think about it. Hermione snapped. And maybe you'll work it out. And she sped up her stride and left Harry gaping behind her. Professor Quirrell, Draco said in his most formal voice, I must protest your appointment of Hermione Granger as the third general. Oh, said Professor Quirrell, leaning back in his chair in a casual and relaxed manner. Protest away, Mr. Malfoy. Granger is unfit for the position. Professor Quirrell tapped a finger on his cheek thoughtfully. Why, yes. Yes, she is. Do you have any further protests? Professor Quirrell said Harry Potter beside him. With all due respect to Miss Granger's many outstanding academic talents and the quarrel points she has justly earned in your classes, her personality is not suited to military command. Draco had been relieved when Harry had agreed to accompany him to Professor Quirrell's office. It wasn't just that Harry was a gigantic, blatant teacher's pet where Professor Quirrell was concerned. Draco had also started to worry that Harry actually was friends with Granger. It had been a while now, and he still hadn't made his move. But this was more like it. I agree with Mr. Potter. Appointing her as a general turns it into a farce. Harshly put, said Harry, but I cannot bring myself to disagree with Mr. Malfoy. To be blunt, Professor Quirrell, Hermione Granger has about as much intent to kill as a bowl of wet grapes. That, said Professor Quirrell mildly, is not a thing I would fail to notice myself. You are telling me nothing I do not already know. It was Draco's turn to say something, but the conversation had suddenly hiccuped. That answer had not been in the possibilities he and Harry had brainstormed before coming here. What did you say after the teacher said that he knew everything you knew and he was still going to commit an obvious mistake? The silence stretched. Is this some sort of plot? Harry said slowly. Must everything I do be some sort of plot? Can't I ever create chaos just for the sake of chaos? Draco almost choked. Not in your battle magic class. 
Harry said with calm certainty. Other places, maybe, but not there. Professor Quirrell slowly raised his eyebrows. Harry gazed steadily back at him. Draco shivered. Well then, Professor Quirrell said, neither of you seem to have considered a very simple question. Who could I appoint instead of Miss Granger? Blaze Zabini, Draco said without hesitation. Any other suggestions? said Professor Quirrell, sounding quite amused. Anthony Goldstein and Ernie McMillan, came the thought before Draco's common sense kicked in and ruled out mudbloods and hufflepuffs no matter how aggressively they dueled. So instead, Draco just said, What's wrong with Zabini? I see, Harry said slowly. I don't, said Draco. Why not Zabini? Professor Quirrell looked at Draco. Because, Mr. Malfoy, no matter how hard he tries, he'll never be able to keep up with you or Mr. Potter. The shock of it staggered Draco. You can't believe Granger is going to. He's gambling on her, Harry said quietly. It's not guaranteed. The odds aren't even good. She'll probably never give us a good fight, and even if she does, it may take her months to learn. But she's the only one in our year with any chance at all of growing to beat us. Draco's hands twitched, but didn't clench into fists. Showing up as your supporter and then backing out was a classic undermining tactic. So Harry was in it with Granger, and that implied... But Professor, Harry went on smoothly, I'm worried Hermione will be miserable as the general of an army. I'm speaking as her friend now, Professor Quirrell. The competition might be good for Draco and me, but what you're asking her to do isn't good for her. Hmm, never mind. Your friendship for Hermione Granger does you credit, Professor Quirrell said dryly, especially as you are able to be friends with Draco Malfoy at the same time. Quite a feat, that. Harry suddenly looked a little nervous, meaning he probably felt a lot more nervous, and Draco silently swore to himself. Of course Harry wasn't going to fool Professor Quirrell. And I doubt Miss Granger would appreciate your friendly concern. She asked me for the position, Mr. Potter. I did not ask her. Harry was quiet at this for a moment. Then he flashed Draco a quick look that mixed apology and warning, saying at the same time, I'm sorry, I did my best, and we'd better not press it any further. As for her being miserable, Professor Kroll went on, a slight smile now playing about his lips, I suspect that she will have a much easier time with the rigors of her position than either of you suspect, and that she will put up a good fight much sooner than you think. Harry and Draco both gasped in horror. You're not going to advise her, are you? Said Draco, utterly aghast. I never signed up to fight you, said Harry. The smile playing around Professor Curl's lips grew wider. As a matter of fact, I did offer to share a few suggestions regarding Miss Granger's first battles. Professor Quirrell? Oh, don't worry. She turned me down, just as I expected. Draco's eyes narrowed. Dear me, Mr. Potter, didn't anyone ever tell you it's rude to stare? You're not going to secretly help her some other way, are you? Would I do that? Yes, yes said Draco and Harry at the same time. I am wounded by your lack of trust. Well then, I promise not to help General Granger any way that the two of you don't know about. And now I suggest that both of you be about your military affairs. November approaches, and swiftly. 
Draco saw the implications before the door had closed all the way behind them on their way out of Professor Quirrell's office. Harry had once spoken dismissively of people stuff, and now that was Draco's only hope. Let him not realize. Let him not realize. We should just attack the Granger girl first and get her out of our way, said Draco. After we crush her, we can have our own contest without any distractions. Now that doesn't really seem fair to her, does it? said Harry in a mild voice. What do you care? She's your rival, right? Then, with just the right note of suspicion in his voice, Don't tell me you've started really liking her, after being her rival all this time? Founders forbid! What can I say, Draco? I merely have a natural sense of justice. Granger does too, you know. She has a very firm grasp on good and evil, and she's probably going to attack evil first. Having a name like Malfoy is just asking for it, you know. Damn it. Harry, said Draco, sounding wounded and maybe a little superior. Don't you want to fight fairly against me? You mean rather than attacking you after you've already lost some of your forces beating Granger? Oh, I don't know. Maybe after I get bored with just winning, I'll try that fair thing. Maybe she'll attack you. You're her rival. But I'm her friendly rival, Harry said with an evil grin. I bought her a nice birthday present and everything. You wouldn't go around sabotaging your friendly rival like that. What about sabotaging your friend's chance at a fair fight? Said Draco angrily. I thought we were friends. Uh, Let me rephrase that. Granger wouldn't sabotage a friendly rival. But that's because she has the killing intention of a bowl of wet grapes. You would. You totally would. And guess what? So would I. Damn it! If it had been a play, there would have been dramatic music. The hero, impeccably turned out in green-trimmed robes and perfectly combed white-blonde hair, faced the villain. The villain, leaning back in a simple wooden chair with her buck teeth clearly visible and stray chestnut curls drifting over her cheeks, faced the hero. It was Wednesday, October 30th, and the first big battle was coming up on Sunday. Draco was standing in General Granger's office, a room the size of a small classroom. Why each general's office was so large, Draco wasn't quite sure. A chair and a desk would have worked for him. He wasn't even clear on why the generals needed offices at all. His soldiers knew where to find him. Unless Professor Quirrell had deliberately arranged the huge offices for them as a sign of status. In which case Draco was all for it. Granger sat on the room's single chair like a throne, all the way on the other end of the office from where the door opened. There was a long, oblong table stretched across the middle of the room between them, and four small circular tables scattered around the corners, but only that one single chair all the way at the opposite end. The room had windows along one wall, and one beam of sunlight touched the top of Granger's hair like a glowing crown. It would have been nice if Draco could have walked slowly forward, but there was a table in the way, and Draco had to go around it diagonally, and there was no good way to do that in any dramatic and dignified fashion. Had that been deliberate? If it had been his father, it surely would have been. 
But this was Granger, so surely not. There was nowhere for him to sit, and Granger hadn't stood up either. Draco kept the outrage entirely off his face. Well, Mr. Draco Malfoy, Granger said once he stood before her, you requested an audience with me, and I've been so gracious as to grant it. What was your plea? Come with me to visit Malfoy Manor, he thought. My father and I would like to show you some interesting spells. Your rival, Potter, came to me with an offer, said Draco, putting a serious look on his face. He doesn't mind losing to me, but would be humiliated if you won. So he wants to join with me and wipe you out immediately. Not just in our first battle, all of them. If I won't do that, Potter wants me to hold back or harass you while he launches an all-out attack on you as his first move. I see, Granger said, looking surprised. And you're offering to help me against him? Of course, Draco said smoothly. I didn't think what he wanted to do to you was fair. Why, that's very nice of you, Mr. Malfoy. I'm so sorry for how I spoke to you earlier. We should be friends. Can I call you Drakey? Alarm bells started to sound in Draco's head, but there was a chance she meant it. Of course, if I can call you Hermie. Draco was pretty sure he saw her expression flicker. Anyway, I was thinking it would serve Potter right if we both attacked him and wiped him out. But that wouldn't be fair to Mr. Potter, would it? I think it'd be very fair. He was planning to do it to you first. Granger was giving him a stern look that could possibly have intimidated him if he'd been a Hufflepuff instead of a Malfoy. You think I'm pretty stupid, don't you, Mr. Malfoy? Draco smiled charmingly. No, Miss Granger, but I thought I'd at least check. So... What do you want? Are you offering to bribe me? Sure. Can I just slip you a galleon and have you beat on Potter instead of me for the rest of the year? Nope. But you can offer me ten galleons and have me attack both of you equally instead of just you. Ten galleons is a lot of money, Draco said cautiously. I didn't know the Malfoys were poor. Draco stared at Granger. He was starting to get a strange feeling about this. That particular reply didn't seem like it should have come from this particular girl. Well, you don't get to be rich by wasting money, you know. I don't know if you know what a dentist is, Mr. Malfoy, but my parents are dentists, and anything less than ten galleons isn't worth my time at all. Three galleons, Draco said, more as a probe than anything else. Nope. If you want an equal fight at all, I don't believe that Malfoy wants an equal fight less than he wants ten galleons. Draco was starting to get a very strange feeling about this. No. No? This is a limited time offer, Mr. Malfoy. Are you sure you want to risk a whole year of being miserably crushed by the boy who lived? That would be pretty embarrassing for the house of Malfoy, wouldn't it? It was a very persuasive argument, one that was hard to refuse. But you didn't get to be rich by spending money when your heart told you it was a setup. No. See you on Sunday, said Granger. Draco turned and walked out of the office without another word. That had been not right. Hermione, Harry said patiently. We're supposed to be plotting against each other. You could even betray me and it wouldn't mean anything outside the battlefield. Hermione shook her head. It wouldn't be nice, Harry. Harry sighed. I don't think you're getting into the spirit of this at all. 
it wouldn't be nice. She'd actually said that. She didn't know whether to be insulted at what Harry thought of her, or worried about whether she really did sound like that much of a goody-two-shoes usually. It was probably time to change the subject. Anyway, are you doing anything special for tomorrow? It's... Her voice cut off abruptly as she realized. Yes, Hermione, Harry said a little tightly. What day is it? Interlude There was a time when October 31st had been called Halloween in Magical Britain. Now it was Harry Potter Day. Harry had turned down all the offers, even the one from Minister Fudge, which might have been good for future political favors, and which he really should have gritted his teeth and taken. But to Harry, October 31st would always be The Dark Lord Killed My Parents Day. There should have been a quiet, dignified memorial service somewhere, and if there was one, he hadn't been invited. Hogwarts got the day off to celebrate. Even the Slytherins didn't dare wear black outside their own dorm. There were special events and special foods, and the teachers looked the other way if anyone ran through the hallways. It was the tenth anniversary, after all. Harry spent the day in his trunk so as to not spoil it for anyone else, eating snack bars in place of meals, reading some of his sadder science fiction books, no fantasy, and writing a letter to Mum and Dad that was much longer than the ones he usually sent. End chapter 29 I've always wanted to use 0429-something. Today, that dream came true. Thank you, Internet. Thanks also to the voice of Hermione Granger. The original text for this chapter can be found at fanfiction.net or by googling Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, and there is also a link included in this file's description. To participate in this project, simply send in a reading of any minor character's lines at least three days before an episode airs. Recordings, questions, and comments can be sent to hpmorpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please help spread the word at your social forum of choice. If you're interested in learning more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Thank you for listening, and come back next week for Chapter 30, Working in Groups, Part 1.